0: Resurrection Assembly of God. Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. The 21st of August, 2022, The Great Equalizer. First Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 through 34. I wanna express my gratitude uh, for all of you coming today so that we can worship together. And uh, I give thanks to God for all of you. I can't say that enough. The swarms made it back safely from Florida. We know it's dangerous down there, so we appreciate uh, God keeping you safe from those alligators and all that. You know, We have some new faces around the sanctuary this morning to church. Uh, Charles went all over Iowa City picking up everybody that uh, he knows, so we appreciate Charles. Um, if you see some new faces, please don't let them leave without... Blessing them in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Does my mic sound okay out there? Mine is okay, huh? Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Well, church, over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about a bit about why we do what we do here at church. We've talked about getting prayer from our prayer partners here down at the altars when we do that at communion time. And we've talked about kneeling before the Lord Jesus at the altar here as well, getting down on our knees. And uh, on Wednesday night, Cindy was making fun of my jeans because they have holes in the knees. And Ike uh, was laughing at me with Cindy. And I reminded them that the reason that they're there is because I pray so much. It's also conveniently stylish, but uh, come kneel before the Lord, your maker, church. That's what the Bible says. One of the things that has come up in both of those sermons that I preached over the last couple of weeks, you can listen to those on the podcast, by the way, is how we do both of these things when we eat the Lord's Supper together. You know, we can kneel before Jesus anytime we feel it's appropriate. There's no inappropriate time to kneel before the Lord. But after we eat the Lord's Supper, it is particularly fitting that we do so because we believe that we are encountering Jesus in a unique way that we only can in the Lord's Supper. In a similar way, we can pray for the sick anytime. We can pray about anything anytime. No human being And no devil can stop you from praying. But getting prayer for our bodily ailments after eating the Lord's Supper is particularly fitting because the Lord's Supper is Jesus' health becoming our health. It is Jesus' life becoming our life. So that we can say it is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives within us. And so we can pray into that when you come and eat. So today, in view of those things... I wanted to take a few minutes to remind ourselves of why we celebrate the Lord's Supper. It's been in the background the last couple of weeks. Let's just talk about it as the main topic today. Is that all right? Okay. Now, there are so many reasons that we celebrate the Lord's Supper here every week. I can't list all of them. Unless you want me to try. I can't cover the whole topic, though, genuinely. Uh, But here's the bottom line. There is every reason to do what Jesus told us to do, right? There is every reason to do what Jesus told us to do. There is no reason not to do what Jesus told us to do, right? Jesus told us to observe this new covenant... So we will do it. Can I get an amen? amen? I mean, Jesus literally said, do this in remembrance of me. So let's do it. So today, uh, that's the bottom line. But today I'm going to focus on one very particular reason that we are compelled to observe the Lord's Supper. And the reason... Uh, that I want to focus on today is that the Lord's Supper is the great equalizer. The Lord's Supper is the great equalizer. And I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 through 34, and I'm going to talk about that passage a little bit before we come to the altar to do what Jesus told us to do. All right? So let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 through 34 shout out the page number someone in your pew bibles 901 901 for all the kids and adults who need that help if you don't know how to navigate the bible it's on page 901 but uh, just for the record first corinthians comes right before second corinthians you never would have guessed that right first corinthians comes right after the book of romans romans first and second corinthians galatians And so we could keep going, but I'm not going to do that. 1 Corinthians 11, beginning in verse 17. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said This is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me. In the same way he also took the cup and after supper saying took the cup after supper saying that this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink this eat this bread and drink this cup But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give you directions when I come. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. The Lord's Supper is the great equalizer, church. That's the summary of this passage I just read. Communion is the great equalizer. Communion equalizes all of us before God. And we're all equal with each other as we stand shoulder to shoulder. So let me explain that in the most frank way that I can imagine. It's the great equalizer. You can't be racist and think you can come down the aisle and eat at Jesus' table. You can't look down at your black brothers and sisters and think you can eat the body and blood. You can't hate on your white brothers and sisters and think you can participate in the meal. You can't think that you're better than other people because you got money and eat this. You can't think you're better than other people because you don't have money and eat here with us. You can't think that women are better Christians than men. You also can't be a misogynist and think Jesus is cool with you eating at this table while you harbor secret violence against women in your heart. Adults, you can't think that you're better than kids. And kids, you can't think that you're better than adults and come to eat at this table. Those of us who are able cannot think we are better than those who are disabled and vice versa. Charles is a Liverpool fan and EK is a Manchester United fan, but we all eat at the same table, right? This is particularly relevant because they're playing against each other tomorrow in which we eagerly anticipate a friendly Liverpool win. The Lord's Supper is the great equalizer, and we are all equal before God in Christ. Do you feel me? It really should be obvious, everything that I just said, but sometimes it's not. And i got to say it out loud, not only for you, but also for me. And we have to remind ourselves that there are serious consequences when we don't take the Bible seriously on this matter. I'll get there in a second. But let's start at the beginning. The passage begins with Paul addressing the early church in a town called Corinth. That's why the book is called 1 Corinthians, because it's the first letter to the Corinthians. Some people believe that there were actually three letters that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, but we don't have the third one. Or maybe it was the second, and we have one in three, not 100% sure. That was a freebie. You're welcome. So Paul's addressing this early church and he's not happy with them. But he's not unhappy with them because he's got a a problem with them per se, though he kind of has that too. He's unhappy because they've got a problem with themselves. He says that when they come together as a church, it's not for the better, but for the worse. Think about that. What a horrible situation that must have been. I mean, can you imagine if that were true of us? That we would all be better off just not coming to church at all and staying home because that's how bad it was at church. That's how toxic this church was that Paul's writing this letter to, which is both saddening and encouraging that God didn't give up on this church in the Bible, right? Right? And if he didn't give up on them, he doesn't give up on us. That's how toxic that church was, though. Thankfully, that's not even remotely true of us here at Resurrection Assembly. And for that, I am grateful. At least that's my opinion. I think that if you had an alternative opinion, you might not be here. We love each other here at Resurrection. And we love God. And the Holy Spirit comes upon us. So in in that, I commend you. We do not have a toxic church. So what is going on here in the early church in Corinth that Paul said it is better that they don't even get together? Well, it says that there were divisions. That's why we prayed against divisions this morning. Thank you, Charles. And there were divisions along class lines. Poor people were being treated badly by the rich, and it all centered around the Lord's Supper. Paul says that there were factions, Like the whole church was divided between Republicans and Democrats. That's hard to imagine, isn't it? Imagine if, this is not the situation in Corinth, because obviously the Republicans and Democrats didn't exist back then, but imagine if all the rich Democrats were getting together and eating the Lord's Supper when all the poor Republicans weren't around. That's the level of stuff that was going on in this church. There were divisions, and they had people like, like many churches we have today who thought that they needed to be in control of the church and that the church belonged to them and not to those other people, specifically those poor people. Paul says that those who had were getting together, and they were getting drunk when they were celebrating the Lord's Supper. That's not good. Paul's real issue with them is not Of course, strictly speaking, that they're getting drunk, but rather that they're excluding the poor, and some people were actually going hungry. The Lord's Supper is supposed to be the great equalizer, but it was functioning as the great divider in this church. Horrible. It was so bad that Paul actually says that it isn't even the Lord's Supper that they are eating. What it is, is something else their spiritual lives, their bodies. The church is not getting healthier by eating the body and blood of Jesus. They're getting sick and feeble by eating the, something that is masquerading as the Lord's Supper. And Paul's upset about that. He actually says, what should I say to you? He's exasperated. He doesn't have words. He doesn't get it. And he's saying, guys, duh, don't do this. Don't be like that. So that prompts Paul then to tell them what they should be doing instead. And we read it beginning in verse 23 where it says, I receive from the Lord. He repeats the words of Jesus himself. The words that Jesus said when he instituted the new covenants. When Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. When he said, this is my body. And he said, this is my blood. And I want to make this explicit here because this is really important. There's some problems here in the Corinthian church, right? And Paul doesn't say that because, because the Corinthian church is messing up the Lord's Supper, that they should stop doing it. He doesn't say, no, it's just stop doing that. He, he doesn't say that. On the contrary, the solution to the problem is to keep celebrating it. To celebrate it all the more, but to celebrate it correctly celebrate it in a way that no one who calls upon the name of the Lord is excluded. That's, by the way, why when we have kids' church here on the first Sunday of the month, we always wait for the kids to rejoin us for communion, because we would be disobeying the Scriptures by excluding those who call upon the name of the Lord. Like I've said, I don't think that the Corinthians problem is our problem. At least it's not a major problem a resurrection assembly. But there's always a risk that it could become our problem. The Lord's Supper is the great equalizer. And by celebrating it regularly, we remind ourselves that no one is more important here than anyone else. So remember that. So Paul talks about the problem. There's divisions. The drunker, the the drunken rich Are excluding the hungry poor. And then secondly, he talks about the solution. He says, celebrate the Lord's Supper all the more, but celebrate it well, celebrate it correctly. And then finally, this is the third part of the passage. He talks about why it is so important to get this right. And here's where things get a little scary, church. So follow me. In verse 27, if you're following along, Paul says, Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. He says that you eat and drink judgment on yourself when you exclude people from the table. He says that people have become sick and even died because they have so disregarded the purpose of the Lord's Supper. Now, some of you, I want you to remember... Non-Christians, we don't invite them to participate because this is about unity in the body of Christ. We cannot exclude our brothers and sisters in Christ, but we must exclude those who think that this is a joke because it's not a joke. We don't want them to get sick and die. Paul says people will have become sick and even died because they have so disregarded the purpose of the Lord's Supper. And so he says that each and every person every one of us ought to examine ourselves before we come to the table. We've got to discern the body, he says, which means we've got to look around the sanctuary and say, okay, all these people here are God's people, even though we might be really different from each other. And some of us may not like each other from time to time. We're still all God's people. This is also why we always begin our approach to the table, with a confession of sin to God and to each other. Because we need to come to God with a clean heart. And we need to come discerning the body of Christ around us. We need to say, I am not a church unto myself. Instead, we say, We together are the body of Christ. And if I have done anything to compromise that unity, I repent. Now, I already pointed out uh, the scary stuff, but it's worth mentioning again, because Paul says that people have become sick and died by not discerning the body. That's a little harrowing, isn't it? A little concerning. But let me tell you, I have seen people get sick from refusing to, to discern the body when they are at the table. I've been in pastoral ministry now for over 15 years. You're all thinking how old how old is that guy? I'm 53 Kirk. But genuinely, I've been in ministry for 15 years. So I've seen a few things. And both of my parents are ordained. So I grew up seeing them in the ministry. Yeah, so I've seen a few things. I remember once a church member had some conflict brewing with the leadership of the church I was a part of, and this all blew up on a Sunday morning once. You know, it was a really trivial matter, but it was taken as a personal affront, and the and the person, she was really upset. And it went from a simple matter of administrative explanation to her shouting, while she was standing at the altar of the church that she was sick and tired of the church being all about poor people. She also suggested that paying so much attention to children in church was a waste of time. And you know what? I remember this, thinking that this was significant, that we as a church had just celebrated the Lord's Supper together, and eating it had exposed this person's prejudice. She had not discerned the body, and so the Holy Spirit discerned her and exposed her true character. I remember that she left that church and never came back. That's what you call getting sick and dying. There was another time here at this church when a man called and wanted to meet with me. He suggested that he had been seeing some of the, church, the work that the church was doing here in Iowa City, and he wanted to start attending. But he wanted to meet with me first. And uh, I remember we sat like right here in the second row together. Uh, and it was like on a Thursday afternoon or something like that not a lot of hustle and bustle around, so we had a conversation. But I remember in the conversation, he just showered me with compliments. That's always a red flag, by the way. People who don't know you don't know you well enough to shower you with compliments. Because if they knew you, maybe they would hold back some of their compliments. (laughs) But I've found that sometimes... Maybe oftentimes, people who do this do it to trick you into liking them. Because who doesn't like people that are complimenting you all the time, right? Uh, and then not too long after that, they'll turn on you and cut you with really harsh words after they've showered you with compliments once they've gotten your attention, you know? And it throws you for a real loop because you want to believe that their compliments were genuine, And so you feel compelled to believe that their criticisms are right too. Right? So it can get a little confusing. They said such nice things about me, now they're saying such mean things about me. Well, when I met him, he not only told me how great I was, he also told me how rich he was. Not like, he didn't like say it explicitly. He didn't say, hey, I'm rich, Pastor. I got bags and bags of money. He said it, Incidentally, suggesting you know that he might help the church replace the windows, if that's what we really wanted. That's always another red flag. Well, he came one Sunday, and then the next Sunday he came to Wednesday night Bible study, and I remember uh, this happening. He, uh, someone, someone else who was there at the Bible study, uh, prayed for the United States. You know, we pray for the country that's we currently inhabit as the Bible recommends that we do. And after we had finished praying for the country, I started then leading us in our communion prayer. And this guy literally interrupts me in the middle of praying over communion. He like shouts. And he turns to the person who just prayed for the United States and reprimands him because he thought that his prayer was unnecessarily critical of this great country. And I was a little stunned by that. Not only that he interrupted me, but that he was trying to start a fight in the middle of communion. But then he didn't want to like reconcile. He just stood up, again, in the middle of the communion prayer and said, I don't have time for this nonsense. And he stormed out the doors of the church. He also never came back to church Folks, the Lord's Supper will expose those who do not discern the body. I'm not saying that whatever was prayed about the United States was necessarily spot on. That doesn't really matter. But what I am saying is that this guy had not taken the, dis- the time to discern the body of Christ. The Lord's Supper is the great equalizer. And if you don't want to be equal with the people sitting next to you in church, the Spirit will spit you out. Jesse, you can ring the little lamps. I don't know. Do they have the, do they have, can they hear that down there? Or are they in the room? Katie says no. So you might have to go get them. Thank you, Katie. So church, let me conclude by saying this. Uh, every promise in the scriptures comes with a warning And every warning comes with a promise. If we keep this covenant that Jesus gave to us, that we're about to celebrate, we will be blessed. If we flout it, if we abuse it, if we disregard it, we won't be blessed. We might get cursed. And it works both ways. If we discern the body and make sure we are not excluding anyone, then God will meet us in this meal. But even as we meet God in this meal, we will also meet each other in the meal. And by meeting each other in the meal, we learn all the more how to discern the body of Christ. Here's what I believe. We are a diverse church. We've got people from all over the world. We've got people from all over the United States. We have different cultural backgrounds here. Different ages different income brackets the reason we are all held together here is because we make this covenant the lord's supper supper central to our church as it should be in all of god's church when we eat the meal together it forces us to look around the room and say these people who are very different from me are all christians with me and then as we eat and this is equally if not more important The Holy Spirit moves to unite us on a spiritual level. We make ourselves available by discerning the body and celebrating the body and blood, but then it is the Holy Spirit himself who comes upon us in the meal and comes upon us to make us one in Christ. This meal is the great equalizer because the Holy Spirit, he is the great equalizer himself, doing his work as we are obedient to Christ and to the scriptures. So with that in mind, let's discern the body, church. Look around you. We are the body of Christ. You are the body of Christ. Come here and eat, and then let's expect the Spirit to unite us in ever greater unity and purpose for God's glorious kingdom. Amen. Amen.